Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture, BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. Hello, and welcome back to the Food Therapy Podcast. Brittany and I noticed that you guys are really enjoying the mental health episodes and where we share a lot about our journey. So today, we are going to focus a little bit more on our journey to medication. Um, So it's been, it, it was a rough journey for me, and I'm sure Brittany has lots to share on that too, but we just do want to make it known that Obviously, we are not doctors. These are our own experiences. And it's actually wild how different people's experiences on different medications can be. So please don't take like, oh my God, this worked for her. I need to be on that one. Right. That's it's a really good point. And like Lauren said, like we're not trained therapists or physicians. Um, what I will say is that there is, I think it's gotten better, but there definitely is this misconception around medication and mental health and people don't like to talk about it. They're embarrassed by it. That was part of the reason why I waited so long among other reasons, but we really want to just normalize medication, anti-anxiety, anti-depression medications. And so part of this episode, again, it's our lived experience, but we're hoping that this creates a dialogue for people to feel more comfortable about talking about medication use or speaking with their doctors and talking to friends and family about it. Yes. A hundred percent. And I, it's so interesting. Like the embarrassment part was never something I was worried about. I was so anxious that I was like, I literally don't give a shit. Like freaking just figure this out for me. My fear of it was one, like making me feel something like other than I'm, than I am. Um, and you know, my mom, I guess, had heard a lot of horror stories of people like just being like a ghost and not having any emotions and, you know, not being themselves. So that was kind of my association with it. And then I I did many years of therapy where we worked on just like tools and techniques and it was really helpful, but it didn't fix the chemical imbalance that I clearly had in my brain. So, um, it got to a point where I was like, you know, this is affecting my life significantly. I can't sit and enjoy a time like sitting in a restaurant where I should be able to be present and enjoying myself. And I am sitting there with panic, feeling like I'm stuck. So that was kind of my breaking point where I had to figure something else out. And there's a lot of anxieties around being like, well, is this going to work? If it's not going to work, then do I try another one? And then, you know, does the last one interfere with the new one? Like, I had all the anxieties around the actual medication too. I, so similarly, the reason I did not take medication, it was not so much that I was fearful of what other, how others will perceive me. It was my fear around taking medication. Yes. Yes. So I was someone who would not even take Advil for a headache. I was fearful of taking birth control, even though it was really medically prescribed to me. And my doctor, I think for like five to seven years prior to me actually 
agreeing to take the medication had been saying, like, I think this would be really helpful for you. You know, you're doing all these other incredible things. I was in cognitive behavioral therapy for a while. I mean, I still am, but I was in it for quite some time. And, and yet, as you said, like the brain chemistry was still the same. So I could do all the breathing exercises and the meditation and exercise. And yet my panic got to a point where I was having chronic panic attacks up to like five to seven times a day. And it was extremely debilitating Mm -hmm. and it made me not want to go to certain places that I felt like it could trigger. It would happen on the subway. It happened at like a Beyonce concert. It would happen at restaurants when I was traveling, these like disassociative panic attacks. And my breaking point, my, I, my, one of my best friends lost her brother to suicide and it like really like rocked me. And in a way in which I felt like I was like unable to handle the grief, even though it was not even like my sibling, but I was, it just really put me into a really just strange headspace. And I was starting to feel like very negative and almost like depressed, which I'm, I'm not a depressed person. I would consider myself much more of an anxious person, but I was becoming very negative, which is so not my personality. And I remember like my, my parents were saying like, you're just not yourself at all. But I was so afraid that the medication would make me really not myself, even though in reality, the anxiety and the panic made me not myself. Mm -hmm. So it's, as we're talking about like our breaking points, it actually does remind me of dieting and diet culture because I feel like for most people to get to a place of intuitive eating and food freedom, you almost have to hit diet rock bottom to be like, I cannot do this anymore. And that's how I felt with dieting, but that's also how I felt with my anxiety. Like I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And then as you were saying, Lauren, like there was also fear of like, oh my God, like what if this doesn't work? And what if I'm just going to be having like panic every day for the rest of my life? So yeah, that's just brain will attach to anything. Yes. That is such a good tie because, and I think it's similar in the fact too, where it's like, okay, I'm living this life where I'm not myself, right? So you're recognizing that in terms of like the anxiety, depression, however you were acting. Um, But there's this, still this fear of trying something else to be more like yourself, right? And same thing with dieting. You know, it's not, well, not all the time. Sometimes you're not aware of it, but most, well, I wasn't really aware of it, but whatever. (laughs) Anyway, I'm trying to say essentially that each, each step in both of these of trying to become more like yourself is something that comes along with fear, right? There's so many different fears. And yeah, my, I remember sitting in the gym at Delaware and texting my friend who had bad anxiety, who actually ended up referring me to a therapist that really helped me. And I was like, I don't want to go on medication because I don't want to go on it and it not work and then face the reality that there's no other option for me. And I remember her saying, there's always going to be another option. Like you'll figure it out. And, uh, that was my main anxiety. Why I put off putting it, getting on it for such a long time, because I was like, Oh no, once I'm like really bad, then I'll go on it. Once I'm really like, I really am debilitated by it, then I'll use it. So it's really interesting how that works too. And that almost 
I keep bringing it back to like food and nutrition, but Mm -hmm. that also almost makes me think of like people with disordered eating. It's like, I'm not sick enough to get help. I'm not sick enough. Like I'm not, you know, the look of an eating disorder. And yet if your, your mind and your body and your life and your quality of life is consumed and it is impacted by your relationship to food or by your mental health, like that is a reason in itself to get help. Yep. A hundred percent. And I will say like, there is such a privilege that comes along with being able to see a therapist and to be able Mm -hmm. to, especially, um, psychiatrists, if you were to go to one to prescribe medication, it's just really expensive. And for so many people, it is, it's not even attainable, which is there, obviously there's so much wrong in that, but I wanted to point out that there is such a privilege in being able to seek help and seek a counselor. I will sometimes even help clients of mine, like if they are looking for a therapist, go to psychologytoday.com because you can type in your zip code and you can also type in your insurance plan. Mm, So that is a really nice way of narrowing it down and you can read different therapist profiles. And, you know, there are always like certain words that I look for, for my clients. It's like inclusive care, compassionate care, non-judgmental care, and just making sure that you're aligned and not every therapist is going to work. And, you know, it's almost like dating. You you have to, you might have to try a few before you find someone that you really connect with. Yeah. Which is hard too. Cause it's like, you don't want to go to one session and then be like, Oh, I didn't give them enough chance. But then it's like, I don't want to waste my time if it's not going to be the right person. And it's, it's a whole other journey within itself. But, um, yeah, I do. And I was talking about this to the friend the other day where I do really think it was important for me to have that time in therapy before I went on medication. Um, and it was something that my mom really stressed where she was like, I was really young when I first started going to therapy and my therapist had mentioned medication and she was just like, I just, I don't want you to go on it. Obviously, if that was like something I really needed at the time, she would have, but, and I really appreciate that because even when you are on medication, yes, I am different in a lot of ways and much better ways. And it's kind of crazy the amount of things that change when you have such a lower threshold of anxiety, but still I have moments where I need to have coping skills. Right. And I still, you know, like the stress of life is, doesn't go away. So to be able to have those tools and techniques that I learned in therapy before medication, I think is really, really important. And, um, you know, it's without those tools and techniques, I I wouldn't know how to like, deal with the stress of daily life, because that's something that gets, I think, really construed nowadays is anxiety and anxiety disorders and panic disorders and just feeling stressed throughout your day. Especially just given the fact that we're living in a pandemic still two years later. And that in itself has caused so many mental health issues. But, um, you know, going back to what you were saying with therapy and tools, I... I'm completely aligned with you in that because there, I still am, you know, when my brain, which just naturally attaches to anxious thoughts, I have to talk myself down. So if I have, you know, something like medically, that's a little off, like my mind will just immediately go to, I have a horrible condition. And then I have to like walk myself off the ledge. And that 
is where therapy really helps. Mm -hmm. And specifically, I use a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy um, with my therapist. And I've even started to incorporate some like acceptance commitment therapy in like my own work with clients act. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, is this thought helpful? Mm -hmm. And if, if it's not helpful, like why am I continuing to have these thoughts? So having those tools have been so incredibly helpful, but also having the awareness around my anxiety. So for example, if I had alcohol the night before, or if I had a really bad night's sleep and my anxiety is higher, that lowers my threshold to have a panic attack. So I'm like, oh, like, of course, like this makes sense, right? Like there are world events going on. And I didn't sleep great last night. I, ha I had a drink, which actually definitely in increases some of my anxiety. And this happened like a few weeks ago where I noticed myself feeling anxious. I'm like, you know what? There's a lot going on. And having that compassion for myself, similarly to with food, but also the fact that like, just because I'm on medication does not mean I will never have panic, right? right. It's not all or nothing. I will never have anxiety. Mm -hmm. It definitely helps to manage my baseline anxiety, which then makes it less likely to have panic attacks. And that's where the medication has been wonderful. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's like I was saying before, it's so interesting. Um, I mean, I remember being in my psychiatrist's office before I moved to Philly and it was really helpful when she said to me, like, cause she was asking me how it was going the new medication and everything. And said it was fine. She's like, any panic attacks? I was like, no. And then she's like, okay, great. Um, you know, what's going on. And I kind of expressed to her the anxiety I was feeling. I can't even remember at this point what was, I think I was, can't even remember. It was before the pandemic. So maybe I was moving back home from Philly to do my internship. I don't know. There was some move involved and I was like, I'm just feeling anxious. Like, you know, what's going to happen with Austin. Cause he's staying in Philly and I'm going to be in New York and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, Lauren, that's just life. Like you don't have to, because putting a label on it of like, this is anxiety is, and it, it, it is anxiety, but it's not coupled with having an anxiety disorder. And that's something that's really my pet peeve is when someone's like, I'm having a panic attack. And I'm like, have you ever really had a panic attack? Um, I had a Instagram live with Dr. Z who we have, um, yes. are going to have on the podcast. I don't think it aired yet. Um, but we were talking about, she was like, we were talking about a bunch of different mental disorders. And, uh, she was saying how somebody who says I'm so OCD would never say I'm so OCD because there's so much shame associated with it. And it was really interesting too, how we started talking about how you can have like obsessive tendencies, like, like we probably did when we were struggling more so with food, but cause I was asking her about like, what's an addictive personality versus like obsessive, you know? Um, but someone with OCD is really, really, it's crippling in their life and to a point where they're not able to really focus on anything else other than their compulsions. So I thought that was really interesting too, the difference between like an addictive personality and OCD and just all of the, essentially all coming back to people self-diagnosing themselves, especially these days through like TikTok and Instagram and all that stuff. Something I found helpful that my therapist says every single time I see her is if I say, 
this person's giving me anxiety. Like my parents are giving me anxiety. She's like, no one is giving you anxiety. You are giving yourself anxiety. So she constantly corrects me. And over time, like I now correct myself and I correct my sister. So it's like, it's like, mom's making me anxious. It's like, no, like you're making yourself anxious. Mm -hmm. No one has the ability to make you anxious. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I find helpful too, is to create some space between you and the thought. And so instead of saying like, I feel really anxious. It's like, I'm having the thought that, Mm. And then putting in whatever it is you're having the thought. And that's just creating some space between you and the thought. And hopefully it will help you to not immediately recognize your thoughts as facts, yep. which oftentimes we do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think having that space and giving yourself that space, it's kind of what we were talking about on our live a few minutes ago on yeah. food guilt of questioning not necessarily questioning. I don't know if that's a great word, but neutralizing, um, and just like gaining awareness around what is the thought, you know, how is it, is it true? Is it not true? What's the story behind it? Where, where's the judgment behind it? Um, and same thing with anxious thoughts. So I'm curious to hear what, and again, this is, this is like completely your experience and my experience to make that once again, very clear, but what was your experience like once you finally went on medication? If you can remember. Yeah. I mean, it literally, I just felt level-headed. I felt much more normal. I, I had, cause the main reason I went on is because I was in the past, I had a lot of anxiety around being around crowds and like feeling stuck. And it had, gotten really bad to the point where I was like sitting at a restaurant having a panic attack because I felt stuck. And obviously I can go outside and I'm not stuck, but then there's the fear of like, well, what are people going to think if I have to like leave the dinner or whatever it is? So and that was the first time that I ever had a panic attack in front of Austin when we first started dating and uh, we were getting brunch and um, I, the food, I'm not kidding you. We waited for a legitimate hour. Like it took forever from when we got put in the order to, to getting the food. And that gave me so much anxiety. Cause I'm like, how much longer are we going to be in here? And I remember him literally like <laughs> he had my Xanax and I was like, give me a Xanax right now. And he just like, did not understand what was happening. Cause he'd never been like faced with my anxiety before. But anyway, um, so that was kind of my breaking point where I was like, this is not helpful. And then when I first went on it, I, I really just felt less anxiety. Like there was really nothing else. And I'm really grateful for that, but it, it, my threshold had just been lowered so much. So I actually had a different experience and which is why I think it's like important to mm-hmm. talk about how different everyone's experience could be. I initially went on a very, very low dose. Mm -hmm. And that was like the one way that I would agree to go on the medication in the first place. And I also noticed an increase in my anxiety and it happened. I don't remember how long it lasted. I think it was like a few weeks to a few months. The one thing that made me feel better is a friend of mine had gone on the same medication a few months or years prior. And he was like, just so you know, like I noticed anxiety an uptick in anxiety when I first started taking it, just so you're aware. And I don't know if like, I knew that going into it. So I just expected it, but I noticed that there definitely was an increase in anxiety. And I also noticed that when I started taking the medication in the mornings, I was having severe insomnia 
at night. So definitely play around with the medication if you're first taking it. Like I start in the morning and then I switch to the evenings and I notice that I do much better taking the medication at night. It took a few months for my body to fully adjust. And then once I was like in the zone of like, wow, this is like really working. My anxiety threshold completely lowered. I felt balanced. I felt like things that normally would trigger me and, and cause anxiety, like we're not. And so it allowed me to be able to travel more and do things that I never in a million years thought I'd be able to do. And, you know, again, between the medication and therapy, like I don't ever say the word healed because I am someone with generalized anxiety disorder. Like that is, I've always had anxiety Mm -hmm. from the time that I was like six. I remember being like, what is this feeling? Like, I don't want to get out of bed. Like I feel, I feel really anxious. I didn't know what anxious was. So I was just like, I feel weird. Like I have a stomach ache and I'm, I'm scared. Mm -hmm. And that often happened with like separation anxiety for my parents going to camp, going on trips that usually triggered it. But Mm -hmm. that being said, yeah, it takes some time to adjust, but it is, it can be such a magical experience and it can be such a blessing. Like I am so grateful. And what I will say is actually let's, let's get to how we're doing today, because I'm curious how your anxiety has been of recent. Yeah. Uh, so, well, once I first went on it, can't even remember the dosage, but it worked really well. And then because it was working so well, my psychiatrist at the time was like, all right, let's try and wean you back off. And that was kind of annoying because then it started to come back. And that was always a big fear of mine too, is like, if you go on it and then your body gets used to it and it doesn't work anymore. So I had weaned off of it. Cause I was like, Oh, okay, that sounds good. I mean, I didn't want to be on medication in the first place. And then my anxiety was higher again. And I went to see another psychiatrist when I had moved and she was like, I don't understand why she would have taken you off of it when it was working. And I was like, I don't know. So now I'm still on that or no. Okay. So I went down and then I started getting more anxiety. So I went up again, but only like not fully up. Um, Lots of adjustments, but um, now I'm, by the way, so normal too. Right. Exactly. And depending on you know, hormones, there's so many things that can affect it. Um, and yeah, so now it feels pretty stable. Um, but like you said, it's so normal to just kind of have, uh, varying, you know, needs certain times of the year or whatever. And, um, now it feels pretty good, which is exciting. So I was on the same dosage since 20, 18, whenever my internship was, I actually went on it right before our clinical internship, because I knew going into a hospital setting is a major trigger for me. And Lauren and I actually did the same exact clinical training Mm -hmm. and you're like really in it. Like it is, it can be very like sensory overload, um, in many different ways. So I probably have been on it for a few years and it wasn't until this year, about a few months ago, I noticed that my mood had changed. And I felt, I don't, I I don't even know the best way to describe it. I think I felt kind of sad. And I feel like I was texting you about this, but you texted me and you were like, I think I'm depressed. Yeah. I I felt really depressed. I felt really sad. I felt withdrawn. And I think that I was mourning and grieving the pandemic Mm. because I think that there was a point in time where I was like, Oh my God, 
we are never going back to a time where it was 2019 Mm -hmm. and it came right after the high of getting engaged. And Mm -hmm. I had like a social media post that went viral, which it sounds so bad when I I say this on, um, but there are all these really exciting things happening. And then I kind of went back to like my daily life and I was like, oh, like I feel very withdrawn and depressed. Mm -hmm. So I called my therapist and I asked her what I should do. And we decided to just like, go up on the dosage, um, for a few weeks and see what happens. I ended up staying on it and I feel really, really great. The one thing that I will say that is fascinating, and I don't quite know the science behind this, but my doctor said right before your period, you should be going up in dosage. And it is, has to do with like the influx of hormones and the hormonal changes, but people find themselves especially anxious and depressed right before menstruation. And we need to get someone on here to talk about that specifically, because I think it's really interesting. So if you notice, oh, like I'm feeling like a little bit more anxious or a bit more depressed, you might want to go up on dosage, obviously speak with your doctor, but that's what my doctor had told me. And so I did that. And then I just never went back down because I'm like, I feel great. Why, um, you know, why ruin something that's, that's working well. Exactly. And that's kind of how I feel when my psychiatrist took me down. And I was like, well, yeah, I shouldn't have been taken down, but here we are surviving and thriving. So I hope this is helpful for you guys. Obviously, like we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, we, you know, don't know much about how to prescribe medication and it's not within our scope whatsoever. We are not doctors, psychiatrists, et cetera. So if you have questions, um, obviously we're happy to answer, but uh, nothing that's yeah. outside of our scope. Right. And the answers will be just from like our lived experiences of like right. our own, um, you know, what happened with our own experience. But mm-hmm. what I will say is if you are listening to this and you've been thinking about going on medication, but you're fearful of going on medication, the other thing that I should have mentioned is I was also afraid to go on medication because I was afraid of gaining weight. Mm, yeah. And I forgot to mention that. I so, actually had that same. Yep. Yes. And I hear this from a lot of people. And what I will say is that it, I, I just cannot speak more highly about medication. And if weight is the reason as to why you're fearful of trying something that will genuinely improve your quality of life, Mm -hmm. I think there's a bit more work that probably needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And a few things that should be looked at in therapy or with, you know, with a dietitian or um, intuitive eating counselor, whoever you feel close and safe with. But um, yeah, I mean, it makes me sad if someone is not going to try something that will truly help them in so many ways because there's a possibility of gaining weight. And I don't fully know the science behind anti-anxiety, antidepressants, and weight, but just from what I know, if you are someone who has always been anxious and that has suppressed your appetite, it has not allowed you to eat in a way that you would want to, sometimes being on medication allows you to eat and allows you to eat consistently, which is exactly what your body needs. And there are also people who feel really anxious and use food to self-soothe. And so, you know, there's so many different components of it, but regardless, like I, I hope that each person does what's best for them and does what feels good for them. And and obviously talk with your doctor as well. And I think we have this like research and science and all of that is great, but 
it's all subject. Everything in this world is subject to human error and not even error, but it's really hard to measure something that like Brittany said, could be due to, you know, you didn't have an appetite in the first place. And then you got an appetite back or you had too much of an appetite and you know, whatever it is. So it's, you know, these trials and everything on these medication, is it like, is it because of the medication or confounding factors? So just something else to take into consideration. Yes. And we hope you like this episode. As always, please rate, review, subscribe, send this to a friend who has been debating medication or has been struggling with mental health because it is, you know, really the best way to get our podcast out there. And we're so grateful that you took time to listen today. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at foodtherapypod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.